Good evening. All my clocks go backwards. I keep resetting them, but still, backwards. Tonight, we'll explore the psychological toll of the pandemic on one woman's life as she struggles with being trapped inside. This story is called A Brain's Strength. But first, we have to pause to say goodbye to Natalie, known to her friends as N.D. Jones, who died this week at 30. An avid filmmaker, she hoped to one day make a horror movie so scary that you might just die of fright watching it. And as her body, face frozen forever in terror, is wheeled out of the editing suite, we can console ourselves with the knowledge that in the end, Natalie's dreams came true. If you want to hear your own on our obituary, head to patreon.com slash quietly yours to become a supporter of the show. And now our feature presentation. I've been stuck in this flat for so long, and no one's been around to see me. There's this horrible moment where you second-guess yourself. You count how long you've been trapped inside like this, and then you think, no, no, that can't be right, I must have counted wrong. But then you recount, and... Isolation like this does that to you. It warps your sense of time. Gives you time to think, though. (laughs) I used to view that as a positive. Always thought we could do with more of that as a society. But it turns out there's such a thing as too much time to think. It's interesting, really, how the past few months have changed the way we think about things like that. I mean, God knows no one wants to be in lockdown forever, but does anyone really want to go back to how it was before, either? Because extremes work in both directions. We went from a life that was often a little too fast, a little too busy, a little too overwhelming to, well, the exact opposite of that. It's funny, really. I was always one of those on-the-go workaholic types. Looking back on it now, it's almost funny to me how I was focused so intensely on climbing the career ladder as if it was the only thing that mattered in the world. I felt like if I took my foot off the pedal for a second, then I'd slow to a stop and be forever stuck. (laughs) Which is stupid to behave as though it would have been so horrible to be stuck in middle management, as though... My life was something to escape, when it was perfectly comfortable. Eventually, though, I realised that balance is important, that you can't always be firing on all cylinders, without crashing and burning anyway. Sometimes you need to slow down. 
I wonder how many people have learned that lesson in the past few months. <laughs> it shouldn't take a pandemic to understand such a fundamental idea, but that's the world we live in. Maybe now, as we emerge into a reshaped world, we'll learn from our mistakes and spend more time on what's actually important. On who's important. Oh, God. Like I said, it's easy to look back and laugh at myself for taking everything so seriously, for pushing myself non-stop. But of course, it's not funny. Not really. Years and years of overworking myself, piling on more and more stress. That was never going to end well. And in the end, I cracked. <laughs> of course I did. And then I had to leave work. <laughs> Which is the great irony here. You spend so much of your life on work, 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 and nothing but work. And in the end, the bubble bursts and your career is the first thing you lose. I was supposed to go back after a few months, but the company let me go. Downsizing, so they say. Of course, it had nothing to do with my mental health. Of course it didn't. <laughs> Bullshit. I thought about pursuing it further taking them to a tribunal or something, getting what I actually deserved. In the end, the whole process was just too intimidating, especially after the previous few months. I was on the road to recovery, and I didn't want to pile on any additional stress. Yeah. Wasn't all that great a loss, though, in the end. <laughs> I think I'd already realised by that point that I didn't want to go back to my life as it had been before. I was determined to find an alternative. And so, I started my own company. It wasn't much, and, and I don't say that to put myself down. It wasn't much because I didn't need it to be. It was more or less a one-woman show, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. I didn't need infinite growth. I didn't need to get rich and take over the world. I just needed enough money coming in to provide for us. And enough freedom and control over my time to be able to live my life the way I wanted to live it. And that involved working from home. Which I guess is part of the reason lockdown didn't give me the same culture shock everyone else seems to have gotten. <laughs> One day I woke up sat down at my desk and got to work from the comfort of my home. The next day, well, it was just the same. My usual day. For others, I suppose their lives were turned upside down. And that sudden shift in their life can't be good for their mental health. <laughs> no wonder people are getting stressed. Oh, I suppose, in a way... Everyone's now living through what I went through a couple of years ago. It's not fun. I hope everyone has support. That's easier said than done, though, when we're all trapped inside our own homes. Technology keeps us connected, but it's not the same, is it? My phone rings, but it's no use. That's no use. 
but I pray. Every day I pray that I'll hear the click of the door and someone will walk inside. Anyone. If someone would just walk through that door. I'd say that I've always been fairly health conscious, really, but didn't always translate into a healthy lifestyle. My mum was plagued with health issues for much of her life, and as much as I hate to admit it, I held a bitterness about it for a long time. Okay, so some of her issues were out of her hands. They were just out of her control. Bad genetics, maybe, or just downright bad luck. But she knew that being overweight was only making her problems worse, and she still overate. Still, she would sit there every night, hours in front of the TV, and I would wonder, how can she do this to herself? How can she let herself worsen like this? I was blaming her. I hate to say it, but that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, I see it differently now, of course, looking back with the gift of time and distance and hindsight. If I'd channeled it differently, supported her instead of judging her, then perhaps things would have taken a different path. I was only 20 when she had her first cardiac event, as they called it, and that really solidified in my mind this idea that I have to look after my health. Had to make sure I was in top condition so I could sail into old age with good health. But I didn't take it as seriously as I'd like to think I did. I treated it the same way I treated my work. A mindless drive without ever really being present. I'd get on the treadmill every day, but I was just chasing numbers. Mental health never even crossed my mind. I often think back on that time and wonder how many people looked at me, at my career, and asked themselves, how can she do this to herself? (laughs) Once I left work, then I actually started to look after myself. I ate better, cooked from scratch more often, took time for myself, time to think, time to just be mindful. (laughs) And it worked. I felt healthier than ever, physically and mentally. (laughs) Another great irony. I spent so long trying to avoid becoming my mother, to be the picture of health. And then all that work... Undone in an instant. I don't even know what it was. Maybe I dropped something. Maybe it was just a snag in the carpet. All I know is something caught my foot and the next thing I know, I'm flying towards the floor and then... Black. I must have banged my head. I don't remember that bit. In my memory, everything goes dark before I reach the floor, but I must have banged my head, right? 
Or maybe... Maybe it was my neck. Maybe I fell awkwardly, landed the wrong way. One in a million kind of accident. I don't know. I've had so long to go over it, to try replaying the moment in my head. But no matter how many times I try, nothing comes back to me. It was night time when I woke up, which it wasn't before. I, I don't know exactly how long I was out. I don't really have a cycle anymore. I just drift in and out of sleep almost at random. That leaves the daylight as my only way of counting time. By my count, the sun should be rising soon, and that will take us into... Day three. Three. How can that be? See what I mean? You second-guess yourself. I learned that long ago, back when I was counting in hours. It was easier then. It seemed more likely that someone would find me, but day three? I don't even know what's happened to me. I know I can't move. Or at least, I can't move anything from the neck down. I can still blink. And I can hear and see, alright. I've tried to speak cry out. Sometimes it works and I'm able to make a noise, loud groans that I hope someone will hear. Other times it doesn't work. I try to scream and nothing but silence comes out. Everything's such a blur and I'm sure one of those outcomes is a dream but I just can't figure out which one is which. Even if I am making a noise, it hasn't done me any good. No one's come. No one's found me. But there's nothing else that I can do. I can't move a finger. I can't do anything. Our only hope is if someone steps through that door and finds me here. Just step through that door. Someone. Anyone. Please. But no one does. No one comes. Dark thoughts have begun to enter my mind. I just don't know how much longer we can survive without... will be the sunrise. It always wakes her. There's this one conversation I keep coming back to. I was 18 and working my first job. I'd gone straight to that from school, never went to university or anything like that. I went straight into work, and while I went from job to job, I was working pretty much constantly ever since. 
until my health forced me out anyway. But I always knew I wanted independence. I think that's part of what drove me straight to work, if anything. I didn't go on nights out or anything like that. To tell you the truth, I'm not sure I had any friends who would have even wanted to spend that much time with me. I was completely neglectful of my friendships. I wish I'd been more aware of that at the time. But there was more to it than just that. I wanted to save. I avoided buying anything unnecessary, and within a few months I'd managed to get together a deposit and the first couple of months' rent, and I was ready to leave. Stretch my wings and make it on my own. My mum was furious. At least I thought she was furious. I'd never seen her like that. Looking back now, I suppose she wasn't angry at all, just hurt. We argued for what felt like the entire night. She thought I was being irresponsible for rushing to take on the responsibility of a flat when I'd barely been in my job for six months. She was also hurt, I imagine, by a feeling of abandonment. After all, it had only been the two of us for pretty much our entire lives, and now I was leaving her on her own. I didn't even think about that at the time, of course. So many things that weren't even related to the move were clearly bubbling under the surface for a while, and they finally erupted that night. She was angry at my rush to get into work, my complete disinterest in continuing education. I remember calling that out, calling her a hypocrite, because after all, she never went to university. Now I get it. Now, with a daughter of my own, I get it. But I didn't get it then. And neither did she. She didn't understand that I needed space. She didn't understand my desire for independence. She just wanted me to stay and she didn't think beyond that. So we argued and we argued and argued, but it's her last comment that really stuck with me. You'll regret this, she screamed. I told her that she was lazy and useless and that I'd miss nothing with her gone. Then I slammed the door and we didn't talk for two days. You'll regret this. There was just something so cold and callous about that comment. It unnerved me at the time, and it unnerves me still. But the worst part, the great irony of it all, is that she was completely right. I mean, maybe it didn't pan out exactly as she had envisioned it, but when I turned up on her doorstep, pregnant and surrounded by bags, that comment must have sprung to her mind just as it sprung to mine. I regret that. But if she thought she was right, she never said it. She never said anything so cruel to me again. She never mentioned the horrible things that I said to her. I got a free pass. And all through my pregnancy, she doted on me completely. 
if I wanted nine months without lifting a finger, she'd have made it happen. Far cry from the lazy and useless person I thought I knew. But I, I did lift a finger, of course. I helped out around the house. I cooked. It was a true partnership. And it was great. And then Ella was born. And a few months later, I accepted a job and we moved halfway across the country. She didn't try and stop me this time. Maybe she knew it wouldn't work. Or, or perhaps this time she trusted me. Respected me. More than the last time when we'd fought so bitterly. I'll never know what was going on inside her head. But whatever it was, she let me go. And off I went. And now here I am. Halfway across the country. Desperate for help. What if I'd never left? What if this happened while my mum was right next door or just across the road? She'd probably be round all the time to see Ella. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her every day. And I guess households can't mix anymore, but so many people out there have friends or family and support bubbles. I have no one. But if mum was here... And then, one day she wouldn't see me. She'd wonder what happened, she'd worry. She'd let herself in, just to check on me, and she'd find me here. She'd call an ambulance, she'd wait with Ella, and when I came out of surgery, they'd both be here to help me all the way through my recovery. But that's not the world I live in. She's halfway across the country. I'm on the floor, alone. And Ella's gone three days without food. And again, those words circle in my mind. You'll regret this. I feel like I'm sleeping more. That can't be good. I seem to slip into sleep so easily at the moment, and each time it feels like I'm out for a while. But I suppose I have no way to count it, no way to know for sure. Even if I was sleeping more, I wouldn't know what it means, and there's nothing I could do about it. I wonder if this has happened to anyone else. You see it on the news. Older people who have limited contact with others and who've lost their last bit of socialising because of the pandemic. So, if they died, would anyone find them? Or would they lie there for days like me? Would something like this happen to anyone else my age? I mean, most people have family nearby or they've got friends they chat with every day. I guess I've not gotten any better at that part of my life. I suppose a lot of people would miss work. They'd miss a Zoom meeting or they'd fail to hand something in or meet a deadline and their co-workers would get in touch. There'd be no reply, of course, so they'd send someone round to check and they'd find a body. Or they'd find me. 
but I'm my own boss. I have no deadlines, no one watching over me. I have no co-workers. I have clients, I suppose, but I hardly think they're concerned with my well-being. If I've missed any deadlines with them, they're probably just sat at their own desks rolling their eyes, googling who they'll hire next instead of me. No matter how many fictional scenarios I play out in my head, nothing ever ends differently. The truth never changes. No one's finding me. No one's coming through that door. No one's going to save me. And no one's going to save Ella. Looks like it's starting to get dark now. Definitely sleeping more than I used to. Last I remember, it was mid-afternoon. Guessing from what little I can make of the light anyway. How could I have slept for so long? Usually I... Usually I'm woken up by crying. But I haven't heard anything, not a peep. Not since this morning. That doesn't mean... No. It's been days. She's probably learned that crying doesn't bring food anymore. And maybe it's me. Maybe maybe she has been crying and I've been sleeping through it. Or I don't know. I just don't know. Just cry. Please. Cry. Give me a sign. I need to get out of here. I need help. Why, why won't anyone help me? Why won't anyone come? Help me. Please help me. I need to move. I need to... I, I, I did it. I, I moved my hand. Come on, if I can move a hand, I can move an arm. Come on, move. Move. Please move. Oh, it's no use. I can't do it. I can't. I'm useless. Ella, you're okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I... Come on, come on. Just a movement, any movement, just move. Yes, yes, I did it. Come on, gotta just keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> I'm coming, Ella. I'm coming.
Yes, don't worry. Ella will be taken good care of until you arrive. We'll know more after the post-mortem, but it looks as though she tripped and fell, banging her head on the corner of the kitchen counter. The head injury is likely what killed your daughter. No, there's just no way of knowing. Alright, I'll speak to you soon. If you need anything, don't hesitate to call. Bye now. It wasn't the mother. Doesn't even live nearby. Hasn't seen her daughter in months. Can't have been long. She's still warm. A few hours, maybe? But the food in the kitchen. Well, it's been there for days. I know. The accident must have happened over the weekend. So, who... Changed and fed the baby? I don't know. I think we'll know more when we trace the 999 call and find out who placed it. Until then, let's just... focus on the mother. See if there's anything we can do to make this easier for her. Okay. Three days. Do you... Do you think she was conscious? For any of it? I don't know. I hope not. I'd like to think she didn't even know. Out like a light, no suffering, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I hope so too. A brain's strength starred Sally Walker-Taylor as Allison and Mab's beat as a police officer. It was written and directed by Brett Barnett, that's me, produced by Stacey McKenzie, and featured music by Ostrich Bay. If you're enjoying Quietly Yours, be sure to subscribe on your podcast app of choice. You can also sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash quietlyyours, where you can find exclusive rewards like bonus stories, and behind-the-scenes content. You can find all of our episodes on our website, daffodillies.co.uk slash quietlyyours. That's D-A-F-F-A-D-I-L-L-I-E-S dot co dot uk slash quietlyyours. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us all over social media. Our handle everywhere is quietlypodcast. Or you can email us at quietlyyours at daffodillies.co.uk. That's all for tonight, so until next time, I am quietly yours, and you are quietly.